man, this is excellent. This is excellent. I am Reflex. This is Stuck in Middle Podcast, a platform for entrepreneurs, innovators, and creatives. We hear ideas, experiences, and advice on how we can break the mold, how we can break barriers. Uh, we generally host entrepreneurs, innovators, like I said, from African descent. We've been doing this for about three years now, have changed a lot of lives, you know, break barriers in a lot of conversations. And today, we are joined by an incredible dynamic cast, amazing people doing work in different works of life, different fields. I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves and what it is they do, and just a one fun fact about them before we dive into this very, very important conversation that is uh, very necessary in our time right now, especially when it comes to um, Black lives and systemic racism in America and in the world. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with Joe, my brother Joe. How you doing, bro? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, my name is Joe. I'm currently doing, uh, uh, working in civic service. Um, fun fact about me, I'm a third culture kid. Third culture. What, is, what does that mean for people who aren't familiar? So generally, uh, you come from a mixture uh, as far as where you were born, where you were raised, and what you, uh, the culture that you sort of assimilated into. So I have a Congolese parents. I was born in America, but grew up in South Africa. Sweet, sweet. Alistair, how are you? Thank you for joining us, Joe. Appreciate it, thank bro. Thank you. Um, I'm doing well, Flex. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me back. Uh, so just introduce myself. My name is Allison. Um, I am, in my real life, I'm a spoken word artist, uh, but my nine to five is in communications. Um, a fun fact about me, um, I speak Russian, not very well anymore, but I can read and speak Russian. Hmm. Uh, United States can use you there. <laughs> that is interesting. Appreciate you, Alison, for joining us. Uh, coming back last time we had you, we talked about tribalism and cross-cultural relations. That was an excellent conversation. For people who want to watch that, it's on YouTube. Appreciate you coming back, George. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Um, so my name is George Amemo. My Facebook name is Amemo Amemo. Um, I work with NetEat Solutions as IT support, and uh, I also just finished writing my first book called The Return, and I'm on the second one, and uh, the fun thing about me is I love to read, and I love to uh, swim as well. Ooh, black men can swim. We need those. Teach our babies so they can't drown. <laughs> Appreciate you joining us, brother. Um, good to meet you. I, I don't think we've met before. Appreciate you joining us. Diane, how are you, sis? How you doing? Hi, how are you guys? How's everybody? Um, so I am a licensed mental health therapist. I'm licensed in DC. And um, I also do some work outside of what I do for work. I work for a nonprofit in DC. Um, but I also have a platform called I, uh, where I kind of build awareness around mental health for minority populations, specifically black populations. So that is what I do offhand. But something interesting about me, I, the first time I ate avocado was like two years ago. Now I love it. What the heck? <laughs> first time she ate avocados was two years ago. So you never had guac, no nothing like that. Mm-hmm. No, not until two years ago, but I love it now. So, finally. Dang. All right. Appreciate you coming back, Diane. She's been on the platform before. 
My brother, Talib has been on the platform as well. How you doing, bro? Good to see you again. Peace, peace bro. Good to see you, as always. And peace, family. My name is Talib Saber. Uh, I'm an attorney, an activist, and a filmmaker. I have two businesses. I have my own law firm, the Saber Firm, based out of Greenbelt, Maryland. And I have a Sundiata Investment Company, uh, where we invest in like different uh, parts of our communities, as well as really hitting home the aspect of health and wellness through CMOS and Bladderac and some other things. And an interesting fact about me, I'm a poet. Mm, sweet. We got two poets in the building. Appreciate you coming back, bro. Okay. Doing amazing things in the DMV. Appreciate you. And Lynette, Lynette, how you doing, sis? I'm great, thank you. It's good to be back. Yes. Um, now, what, what y'all want to know? What, what's interesting about me? What I do? What I? Okay. And also, you have three poets in the building. Hello. Oh, awesome. ooh, okay artist um i am by day i work in hr for a healthcare organization and um the rest of my life i am a mama and an artist and i have a little boy mm. so i've i've had to negotiate with him so he doesn't make an appearance during our time here <laughs> that's the way to do it i yeah. saw george he was taking out his baby pictures earlier it's all good I guess you know what I mean. Like most, most of most of uh, all of us here in the panel and everybody probably watching right now works or has worked in corporate America before. I, I'm just gonna dive right into it. Do we, you know what I mean? Like, um, we talking systemic racism in America. You know what I mean? Like it's been over, over, over. You know what I mean? Like hundreds of years, 400 if we want to put a number in it. Um, and you know the events ensuing after the death and murder of George Floyd by you know. Officer Chauvin has, you know what I mean, like caused a lot in our nation now. Some, some, some changes positive, some changes not so positive. Um, but can two weeks, it's been over two weeks now, can two weeks fix what has happened in the last 400 years? We've seen a lot of corporations put out statements, ban Confederate flags. Um, do y'all think we're moving in the right direction so far in your assessment? I'm going to start with Lynette and Talib to, to you know, tackle that question. Then anybody else can chime in. Awesome. So if your question is, is two weeks uh, enough? I think we're off to a great start, is what I'll say. We're off to a great start. There's a lot of work to do. I think in the past two weeks, it has been exciting watching people begin to tune in and i think you know for people who've been paying attention like it's it was tragic to watch george floyd um have his last breath um on tv but i've seen that 52 times you know in the past few years and so it was equally as tragic, but it was interesting that this and the combination of pandemic has just given people an opportunity to sit back and deal with it. And so that's been interesting. And as far as what I've seen so, so far, I've seen corporations make statements and not just broad general statements. Like they're like, okay, we are standing in solidarity with black people. They're not just saying with people of color or those of you who have been disenfranchised, like not these broad, but like black people, okay, clearly something is wrong. We're standing in solidarity. I think mm -hmm. a lot of what we've seen has been symbolic, which is great. Let's take down those statues, sure. Let's send letters. Let's 
interrupt meetings to ask our black people, how are you doing? You know, let's draw attention to Juneteenth. Like all these things are great. And it makes me curious. I won't necessarily, and maybe even, maybe even hopeful that there will be things that begin to change, but is two weeks enough time to do it? Absolutely not. No. Everything has to be, we got to dig it out by its roots. Like right now we're just kind of trimming the hedges and plucking the weeds and it's cute. Right. Um, <laughs> this, this stuff is embedded in the soil and in the fabric and the DNA of human beings. They, they're still trying to undo what their great grandmamas told them. People have been taking actions that I don't think they've ever considered why. And I, I don't know why I'm, there's only one black person in this organization of 800. I, I never stop to think about it. I don't know why I always assume the police officer is right and the brown person being handcuffed and smothered to death is wrong. And now they're starting to have those conversations. I think we got a, lo a long ways to go, but I'm hopeful. Mm. What do you think, what do you think, Rosalie? I agree with uh, Sister Lynette there. And in that, it is a good start. However, especially as an organizer, um, we know that there has to be more than symbolic gestures. We've been oppressed as a people for 400 years on this land and colonized for thousands of years prior to. So this is embedded and intrinsic in the fabric of the American, whole, the whole American structure. This isn't just police brutality. This is education. This is healthcare. This is um, uh, politics. This is housing. You know, this impacts every aspect and sector of our lives. You know, so just a little, this is good that it's two weeks, but when you talk about systemic changes, that happens mm -hmm. over centuries, over decades sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not satisfied with just taking down a couple of statues. I'm not satisfied with, you know, maybe a couple of uh, buildings being destroyed. You know, when we talk about the masses of our people, a lot of our people do not live in some of these luxurious places. A lot of our people go to bed hungry. A lot of our people go to bed without a whole bunch of different things, you know, and in order for us to really impact change, we have to make sure that we keep the foot on the neck of those that are continuing to oppress us. Statements are great. You know, but let me see some systemic changes with that. We live in a capitalist society, which means that they speak dollar signs. We've been appealing to them morally for thousands of, for hundreds of years. You know, slavery was immoral, but it was legal. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not convinced that all of a sudden we have woken up to understanding that the oppression of black people is bad. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Because after, just like many other cases in which we've had um, shooting deaths, uh, we get upset for a minute. We might tear up some stuff for a minute. And then two months later, we're back to the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, after the, the police officers have been charged, um, now if. they were set. If, thank you, if they are charged, then we are satisfied with that. But the charges may be dropped. They may get a light sentence. They may not get sentenced at all. We still have to keep the pressure on. So you have those that are on the inside of the system still have to, like the lawyers, the doctors, all those people that still have to keep the pressure on from that. And then you have our people on the outside that are telling them, like, look, you need to listen to those on the inside because we're going to tear all this stuff up if you don't. So we need mm -hmm. to have both of those factions to working together in order to continue 
to advance our liberation as a people, but also understanding the nature of what role we play in the international world. Because yes, what we're experiencing now is tragic, but this is a violation of human rights, not civil rights. So we have to view ourselves in the international context of that, you know, the same issues that go on here in the United States are the same issues that go on in Syria, the same issues that go on in uh, uh, Ethiopia, the same issues that go on in certain parts of China. So once we realize and elevate our status to that of international beings and players and view ourselves as that, that's when you'll see more impact because you cannot expect the United States to police themselves. Hmm. I want to, you know, I would be remiss if we don't even define what systemic racism is, because there's people probably watching this right now who don't really even still understand what that is. And, you know, question is to, you know, our sister Diane, what, in your words, you know, is systemic racism? Let's put that out there in the front for people who still don't understand what it is that we're fighting for right. or against. Um, and that's a good question. Um, so when you think about systemic racism, it's basically just discriminatory practices or racist practices that are within our system that make it hard for um, the oppressed to um, benefit from certain resources, certain um, benefits, um, like education, like um, the just how Black men and women are disproportionately you know, victimized by police brutality. Um, so understanding that it's a layered issue. It's, you know, I think when we see it on the news and we see it in media, um, those are, you know, individual cases, um, but it happens a lot more than people think. Um, so, you know, there are practices that are within our system that needs to change. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that when I think about systemic racism, if you talk about education, how money's allocated, um, how you know certain schools are benefiting from certain resources that other schools are not. Um, and if you think about the medical system, how you know the lack of care or the lack of access to care for black um, black people. Um, so it's it's for us actually, because I'm black too. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the lack of knowledge that's being um, spread across the board, um, when you look at, I know I say this all the time when I became a therapist, first couple of years, I would, now looking back, I was very naive. And now I've been, that I've been experienced, I've had the experience of working in the field for a couple of years, I've noticed a lot of systemic racism in our society that is not you know always addressed i think right now with everything going on people are realizing and coming together to organize and figuring out how we can each do our little portion to try mm -hmm. to by those issues yeah i want to hear from our sister allison and george like you know in just your experience george you work in the it in it world as a black man um if i would guess an immigrant and allison you from knowing you previously, you are, uh, you know, African American. What can you add to that definition of systemic racism as far as these even personal experiences that you have dealt with in America? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, you, Allison, okay. first. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I think everybody has definitely hit on the points about system systemic racism being like just in, embedded in the fabric of this country. 
um, and just not only in this country, but of course around the world. Uh, and one of the things that we, we talk about how it affects us in education, um, healthcare, and all these places, but I, I think a lot of it also goes back to um, the history uh, in people, people's hearts in, in how they receive information. Um, historically, we have not necessarily been in control of our own narrative um, at all. Um, and so looking at stories that are made up about uh, Black people, um, you know, just, I can speak to my experience here. Um, you know, the, the, one of the things that we have as Black people is that we have been in schools that, with people that didn't look like us. Um, we have been taught by teachers that didn't look like us. And so for us, we have learned, I guess, the, the to put it, gen, you know, in the generic terms, we've learned the ways of white people. We know how you cook. We know, uh, you know, expectations of your family and traditions and things like that. And they don't really know a lot about us. We haven't had a lot of opportunities to tell our stories. Um, you know, we get our Black History Month. Um, we talk about Martin Luther King. Um, and if you're in a really progressive school, there might be a mention of Malcolm X. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's like, we sing, we shall overcome. We sing the Black National Anthem if you're in a really fancy school. And that's pretty much it. And so there is no knowledge about the history, like how, how much we've done, the work that we've done. Um, so, so not only that, but then like the, the stories that are handed down, like it's, it's a tradition uh, like handed down in, in these cultures where we're savages, we're more prone to crime. And, and you're right, like it's, it's what I found so hopeful about what's happening now is I'm starting to see people kind of start to question, like, where did I get this idea from? Like, you know, um, and instead of looking at like, you know, yeah, I, I guess for me, I've always been the safe black girl. Uh, I'm everybody's white, you know, white friend. Um, I can talk to you, I can relate, you know. Um, and so I think I'm watching, at least on social media, I'm watching a lot of people that I work with who are starting to question and maybe think for themselves, like, you know, instead of that idea of like, oh, well, she's one of the good ones, which I think is just a horrible idea anyway. Like, I just, I think that's a whole terrible concept, but, but starting to question, like, you know, where did these thoughts about black people come from? Where did these, you know, what, why do I, why do I think they're so prone to crime? Why do I think that they cause so many problems? Like, you know, where, who taught me this? If I haven't seen this firsthand, who taught me this and why do I believe that? And so, so I do, like, again, I, I, I this, this, the past two weeks have been scary, have been frightening, but I still have hope. The past 400 years, really. <laughs> uh, George, how you feeling, bro? How you, how have you been able to process, you know, the past two weeks, really, in the past, like, you know what I mean? Like, well, I said a lot of revelations, a lot of thoughts, and uh, I, I agree with uh, what Alison is saying. You know, one thing I tell my friends is that your personal experience cannot be override with somebody's opinion. And the reason why the whole world stood up for this is because we captured lie and people who don't even believe that 
systemic racism exists, can I relate to it and say, no, that's not who we are. So, um, and my experiences, I, I, look, I grew up in Ghana before I came here. So my experiences are probably different from Alison, who actually grew, grew up here in the U.S. For me, one All thing that Yes, one thing I've observed is that the events that happened for the past two weeks has awoken everybody, not only um, the political wings, but somebody like myself. Sometimes when Africans, we come here, we don't know the pain and the struggle of our sisters in probably the hood or we meet. So this has actually given me much more understanding how um, the racism or the systematic racism that um, exists in our communities, you know, for me to be able to relate to, not to, not to judge, but to be able to acknowledge that, hmm, if I'm back in Ghana, minor experience that because maybe because I'm not black, everybody's black, but if I'm here and it's going to be a big deal and I won't have access to so many things. And for me, if I have a child here, the child is not going to be, is also going to be African-American irrespective of whether I'm from Ghana or not. So yeah, it's an awakening right. thought for me, especially, and also to look into it and see what give the police officer the kind of energy and authority to you know do what he did for eight minutes and 46 you know seconds so and that's really it's what Allison is talking about that it's a, it's a systematic systemic racism is institutionalized i haven't personally experienced it before and i was talking to a friend at work who is from ethiopia and i was telling him that my experience with the police uh, came live when I was stopped at New Year's Eve and my GPS was messing up because I was driving from Pittsburgh all the way from uh, West Virginia to Virginia and the ways was messing up. So I took the wrong turn and the police guy, he was following me. I did not know. He stopped me and said, I thought maybe you're drunk. And I said, well, I was driving Uber. So for, the, for that to happen, I realized that it is not, if anybody who experienced that as an African-American, now I can relate to it. So for me, my, what I want most of my friends who live in the US, who come from Africa to know that when our brothers and sisters talk about some of these things, let's acknowledge them, let's listen to them more because you might not have experienced it, but it does exist. And that's what we saw the last, the last time with this place. Of, it happens all the time, but what's, showed the, what uh, Will Smith said, racism still exists, but it's being captured. Yeah. You and mentioned something, you know what I mean, uh, you know, sympathizing with sisters like Addison. Um, uh, one thing that has been, you know, not acknowledged a lot is, you know, the, the women who have died in the hands of police uh, brutality. We think about Breonna Taylor, which, by the way, this y'all need to arrest the officers, all three or four of them, ASAP. We think of Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, this name, the names go on and on and on and on. Joe, I want you to, you know what I'm saying, like address this question as far as, you know, we know what has happened in this country the past couple of years and in the last, you know, two weeks, three weeks. Um, as black people, how can we, or people who have been, you know, um, passive, how can we join 
the fight. What can we, there's a lot that, ha, that can and has to be done. How can we put our hands to the plow? You know what I mean? What are you, from whatever walk of life you are, whether you're black or black or white or whatever, how can people who've been passive for the most part join the fight? I think there was a, George actually just made, I'm um, going to piggyback off what he said because he made a really good point um, when it comes to this idea of solidarity because ultimately even the things that we don't experience personally, just by being Black in America, we're, you know, not immune to them. Um, and it's important for us to be part of that support because ultimately we benefit from it too. Um, so it's not just, a, you know, us versus them type of thing. Um, but to answer your question, for me, I've even questioned, you know, questioned myself as to how best I can do that. You know, I've had friends that I, you know, I see their posts and they're joining in on the protests. And I kind of wondered, like, you know, is it enough to just say, I showed up there, I posted a video on my Instagram, I was there, you know what I mean? To tag yourself and say, I was part of the moment. But I think, like we've been hinting at, it's going to be this is just the start. Um, so I think it's, it's really about us asking ourselves internally um, how we best can um, add to that and also asking the people um, around us that are you know, garnering our support, what is it that we can do to actually help them tangibly? Because um, like we've been saying, ultimately, although this is the shift that's occurring now, it's still gonna be a long fight. So we kind of have to be um, in it for the long haul and be make sure that what we're doing or whatever action we take is something that we're willing to do consistently. Mm. Somebody said, uh, conserve your mental and emotional energy because this is a marathon, not a sprint. I think Diane can relate with that as a therapist. I'm going to circle back, same question uh, to Lynette and then, you know, saying like, how can we really, you know what I mean, like take that mental, this is a long fight and, you know, getting this for the long haul really or just at all. I think um, there's something, we can all do something, right? So I think it, it depends on where you are. I think if you are a Black person who frequents white spaces, like, like me, I was raised in a neighborhood where I was the chocolate chip. I work in an organization that is diverse at first glance, but as you start to climb higher and higher, you see it gets... Um, more white and more male, more able-bodied, more Christian, more heterosexual. Like it's just very, you, you, you know what it is. And I think so for people who are in spaces, um, really call people to task. Um, like when somebody says, you know, I hate what's going on. Like, oh, what do you hate about it? What do you think, how do you, what do you think? Like ask people what they wanna do. I think one of the things I'm recognizing, like Allison, I've been the person who's, I have been the black friend. So there's probably quite a few white people who would cite Lynette uh, when they're thinking of the friend that they've had. And I think a lot of those friendships are real and genuine and true. And, I, and now I'm curious as to their interest in Black Lives Matter. I don't want it to be because they just don't want Black people to be mad at them, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be, well, I still want to have access to Lynette, so I want her to know that I, I support Black Lives Matter. That's, that's not really it. I think this, because this is a human issue, um, I think there's all, I think, yeah, no, it's not enough. Is it enough to show up at a rally and just march? I think that's enough if you're Black. That's what I'll say. I think 
being a person in a brown body, I don't know that it is our, not I don't know, it is not our job to dismantle racism, right? Mm -hmm. It's our job to call it out and it's their job to listen and believe us. So I think right now we have the floor and I think this is an awesome opportunity when your job sends out that well-written letter that they took two lawyers and three writers to put together to send Some out. Some of our jobs still ain't send that letter out. <laughs> Anything? Okay. So I, my, I think my- No, no, no. I'm saying like some jobs need to. <laughs> jobs have, absolutely. It's, now's the time. Call them to task. They got you mm -hmm. in there. They're probably tiptoeing around right now. You know, you, you yeah. need to put teams off. <laughs> like, right. I think, so I think our work can be different. So there's, there's something for everyone, whether it's writing a poem, whether it's, drawing people's attention to news stories, whether it's sharing information, whether it's marching, making signs, whether it's making care packages for people, whether it's reminding people to take care of themselves, those are all things you can do. I think what's really important is that Black people take care of themselves. I think this is also an opportunity to be really self-centered. I don't want to call it selfish because selfish has such negative connotations, but take care of yourself. And I mean your spirit, um, mm. your health, your family, it's still a pandemic. Like they've opened stuff up, but it's it's still pandemic-y outside. I said that earlier mm. today. So I, I think it's really important that even that is revolutionary. Like look at us still being well in the midst of this. Look at us still loving each other and being kind to each other. And I think we can be gracious with each other. Like if I can be gracious, if I can bite my tongue in, in corporate settings, if I can, if I know what to not to say to a police officer, then I can be gracious um, with a black woman who may or may not have an attitude. I can I can be more curious um, with a black man who says something sideways out his mouth. But I I can I can grant us more grace. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's something we can do that can also be revolutionary. But as far as actions, let's pay attention to our politicians, locally, mm -hmm. not just the president. Locally, who's who 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 hired the police chief in your city? Mm. Who does he work for? You know, who why haven't these officers been arrested? Why are their reports filled with holes? Why are there dead bodies and no one seems to know? Like I think for those of us who have the skill and the means and the access, that this is a chance to create conversation and ask the uncomfortable questions. And and get comfortable with people being uncomfortable with you. You know. Yeah. I'm gonna open. I'm gonna open that question to everybody else. You know, what I mean? like, what can we do? And you know, to tag onto that as well. What should? Because Lynette said, and I, and I agree with. This is a time for Black people to put, call it out and the rest of the world to take action. What can? What should America do? I'm gonna open that to Diane, to leave and George, and and everybody else. If anybody wants to just jump on it. So um, one thing that I think is also important, I think, first of all, that we all have to play our individual parts. So whether it is, you know, calling out our CEOs and making sure that they address the issue um, and also pairing that with action, which is using our vote, you know, voting locally, um, donating money to, you know, different type of funds, campaigns. Um, protesting, um, but I do believe, I, you know, just like what Lynette said, I think for us, like, we also have to, you know, protesting could be just enough for us because we've been already done so much. 
Um, but I also think one important piece is that education piece. I think educating ourselves is a big factor that we should stay mindful of um, because systemic, as um, Allison just stated, systemic racism is a historical thing. So it's not something that just comes about. Um, you know, a lot of things that we we're seeing now has historically been an issue. Right now, it's just at the forefront, and we need to know that. We need to understand. You know, I was reading a book, and it was talking about the need for ethnic education in schools. And a lot of times, because we are being educated by our oppressors, we may know the what, but we don't know the why. They don't teach us the why. So that in itself is very important. Um, because our a lot of parts of a lot of parts in our history is invisible, and like Haitian history, that's not a history that a lot of us, a lot of Black people know. Um, I'm Haitian, so I grew up in a household where it was embedded in me. But a lot of people don't know about why Haiti is important, why their history is important, and I think that if a lot of us knew that, um, it would it would give us, it will affirm a lot of things in us um, in that concept. And also the difference between race and ethnicity. You know, a lot of people don't understand what is the difference. You, like race is more so like a phenotype thing, whereas, you know, ethnic um, identity is based on culture, your cultural group. So educating ourselves and educating the people around us about our history and who we are, um, culturally and as a race is very important. We, you know, there's so much information um, that is in our culture that we need to know, you know, we need to know. So. All right, what do you think, Joe? Um, yeah, I can definitely add to that. And um, I just wanna, you know, mention what Lynette said. She put it um, correctly when she was saying that uh, we're at a point now where we have a platform and um, just listening to what everyone's been saying, I think kind of overall, it's just now's the time where we can afford to be passive, like no one should be passive. And I think as far as what we can add to it, I think it's any space that you're in, um, you are a representative now. You know, we often talk about, um, you know, how representation matters and we look to people that are higher up and in positions of power, but Literally, we are the ones now, as long as we have a voice, this is probably the most powerful moment each of us can have uh, individually, but also collectively, um, if we're speaking towards the same issues. Um, so for me, I'm actually learning from you guys that it means that, you know, all the conversations that we're having um, where we were otherwise silent or people would see us as, you know, the black friend and, you know, kind of be passive um, in the way that they, uh, think that we experience things or uh, be oblivious to the things that we experience, now is going to be the time where we can really um, speak up and make sure um, that we're speaking to those issues. And the last thing I'll say is that um, when we talk about this being a moment and having a platform, when you take into the context of how history has often been distorted, um, I think it's for all of us, there are Black people that don't know the true full extent of the history uh, in terms of Black America, but also white Americans that don't know that, right? That misinformation through education, or if you want to call it, uh, you know, sort of deeper sort of um, 
you know, view of that. But I think what it means overall is that um, we need to like be cognizant of this moment and not shy away from it um, and really take it in for all it is. And actually, rather than simply basing off of history, we need to bring to light the realities. Um, so things that are happening now, as far as not only what we're seeing, but what we've actually experienced. So we're bringing that to light and to say, no, this is not a thing of, well, my one black friend probably hasn't done, seen that, or I haven't um, done that to them. So they shouldn't have that experience. No, every one of us does to some extent. What do you think, George? Um, for me, I think that education uh, is, is one key. And I know that Diane talked about um, the difference between culture and, and race. And if that's something that in the black community based on my observation of you know, talking to people that I've seen that even though we are fighting for black lives, when it comes to culture, we have a little bit divided. And it's it's not only really happening in America, it happens even back in Africa. You know, so I I want more education, you know, not only the black community, but anywhere you find yourself, just try to look into it and see. This, this new revolution, what is it going to bring? Can you dip into racism? Can you dip into Jim Crow? Can you dip into, you know, a lot of things, colonialism, to be able to speak to the issue so that when you've been given a platform or maybe among maybe your top managers and they ask you a question about, you, about, you know, inclusion, as uh, Joe talked about, you'll be able to speak out and say, hey, I'm also here. And also the media. I think the media is a very powerful tool. And for when I grew up, I grew up in Ghana, as I said, and what we saw on our TVs back home about African-American, it's not the same me coming here, experiencing. And it's vice versa. What is sure about Africa is totally poverty. And that is something that is demeaning, something that is not telling the true story. That's why I was able to write a book that's, you know, tell the both stories because I've experienced mm -hmm. African American and also I've experienced um, uh, Africans, you know, life. And also with shows like Moray, I don't know if that's the la the right spelling. Moray, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bringing black, cop young people to humiliate them and show them. It's it's this shows to be cancelled, for me because if Life PD just got cancelled today. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing that I'm advocating that those shows should be cancelled because if my daughter watched that, that's what she want to become, you know. And all the black guys do get opportunity to be on television. I also want to employ them that they should hold a black agenda. Somebody like Don Lemon, which I love so much, right? He's the only black guy in a primetime TV on CNN, a very hot spot. But what we see is, is a wonderful guy. What we see constantly is he's spending two, three hours talking about Trump over and over again. My suggestion, people like that should be able to go to their communities. He's a journalist, train, you know, set up a foundation. I don't know whether he's doing it, but go to the community, train journalists who look into you know, affordable housing, report on your show, expose that. And that is the only way. Mm. This mm. is the, the, the beginning that what uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, that one day, he's, he has a dream one day, his kids 
are going to be judged not by the color of your skin, by the content of their character. And for us to be able to educate ourselves and tell our leaders who, um, who are at the forefront, because Don Lemon is a leader and other people who are in the media, they should go back and find, form a foundation and be able to, to, to educate and support. And I believe that if puts all those foundation out there, people will support and donate and the black community gradually will be rising up. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to circle back to Tyler. What you got to add to anything and everything, bro? Um, just wanted to, you know, also chime in, uh, you know, a lot of talk about education and Nora mentioning that education has to be done the right way as far as, you know, I mean, like a lot of statutes are going down now and the history books have to be rewritten as far as people who have been viewed as freedom fighters who are really slave owners have to be written in that way. So the history rewritten and told in the proper way. I want to open it, you know, for Talib and Allison. Just anything you want to chime in on anything so far before the next question. I'll say um, to the sister Diane's point about Haiti, I think that's important um, to talk about that because a lot of us are not educated about ha Haiti. 1804 and the Haitian Revolution and how that impacted the entire Western world, how it impacted France how the United States now has Louisiana because of that and some of the other countries because of Haiti or black people in Haiti being able to revolt and knock out France, England, the Spanish, like the top militaries at that time. Imagine if you're a young child and you hear about the history of Haiti and they hear about how the West has intentionally dilapidated Haiti and set up blockades to where they would be impoverished so that way it would be an example for anybody that even thinks about doing something similar to that. Imagine as a black child, you learn about the true history of Haiti and how they wrote their constitution to reflect the fact that any black person that was enslaved in any other country, when they come to Haiti, they would be free. That's liberating to actually learn and understand. I think we start with education. One of the things I always do is I always have books with me because it's important. Fred Hampton once said, there is no liberation without education. So I think it's important for us to really understand, understand exactly what we're up against and be knowledgeable. <clears throat> the Color of Law is a book um, that I believe everybody should read. This talks about how the United States and the federal government intentionally helped to segregate America. So they had a hand in it. Cultural Genocide in the Black and African Studies Curriculum by uh, Dr. Yosef Benyakinen is another good book that talks about how through education, you know, they have impacted um, how we view ourselves and um, how we are able to gain essentially a knowledge of self. This is more so for the Pan-African um, aspect, but King Leopold's ghost. How does the, uh, how does what happened in Congo and also on the continent impact us as an African people in the diaspora? You know, a lot of people don't know about the history of Congo and don't know about the genocide that happened under King Leopold, which was far more than the um, European Jewish Holocaust. And then you have African uh, people in world history by Dr. Um, John Henry Clark. This will tell you about our history prior to slavery. We only get slave narratives. We only get the fact that we've been taught um, that we only come from slave people, uh, people who were enslaved. The fact that we use slaves instead of enslaved people already shows us how we've been conditioned to believe that these people had no humanity. Our slavery was a condition. It wasn't uh, actual people. You see what I'm saying? It interrupted our, our history. So by doing that, you kind of uh, have like a timestamp on the rest of your history prior to that. So that's all you know. And for us born in 
the United States. Um, because we're taught that, that's the mentality that we have. So until we have had an opportunity to experience other things, educate ourselves and enlighten ourselves, you know what I'm saying? Even for those that have degrees, you know, I'm a lawyer, um, I have post uh, graduate education, all that stuff, but I can still, if I did not have a knowledge of self, I still would be ignorant. So the, whatever is behind your last name means nothing if you cannot impact or assist your people in some capacity. Because what you're doing is suffering from a brain drain where you're taking all the energy, the information that you know, and uplifting somebody else's community. And then you sit back and you wonder why the black dollar only exists in our community for six hours in comparison to 14 days of other cultures, 21 days of other cultures, you see? So in order for us to truly attack this system or in order for us to go beyond being just at the table pontificating about what's going on, we actually need to educate ourselves. We need to be on the forefront of whatever is going on. And even with your lanes, if you're, if you're a teacher, then that's your lane. You know, maybe the, your, your lane is to be able to educate our people. If you are a grassroots organizer, then that's it. If you're a banker, then your impact should be within figuring out how you can give uh, more black people loans, you know, um, and how, if, if yours are in like real estate, real estate figuring out how uh, redlining works and being able to educate our people about subprime loans, not being able to take those and so many other aspects and different um, capacities, I believe starts with education. And then from education, now you can say, all right, well, if someone is replaced uh, within the political structure, you know, then will they come in and just be a different face for oppression? Because I don't care who's in office. If you're oppressing me, you're oppressing me. So mm -hmm. it starts locally teaching our youth about the, the knowledge of sales and also educating them not just to vote or not only to vote, but telling them that they should be running. So how do we train them into getting into these positions? So that way they'll be loyal when they get there. And you don't have to worry about um, who is going to be running the city 10, 15 years from now, because we've already trained the youth up to prepare them for this position. I think that's the aspect in which we should be able to start from. I wonder, I don't know if uh, Sister Alice wanted to chime in anything for our next question. Um, actually, I think everybody's hit so many points and it made so much sense. I, the What I do want to kind of piggyback off of um, the the concept of education um, and how absolutely important it is that we educate ourselves so that we not only can share that information within our own communities, um, but for those of us who, who have knowledge, um, to be able to get paid for our labor. Um, because like Lynette said, like we have the floor now. Um, so there's so many opportunities to share our stories and educate people um, in terms of our history uh, in, you know, the history, not only us as the people, but a lot of the history about what's happened around the world to black people, what's happened in our own country. Um, you know, uh, I, I still find it fascinating when, if I'm having a conversation with, uh, you know, some of my non-Black friends, and if I mention things like COINTELPRO, um, you know, a government conspiracy, and they're just like, what? You know, the, the, our government would do that, you know, uh, to talk about um, the Tuskegee experiments. Um, and and these are things that not only they do they, if 
if they covered in school, it may, may get one or two lines. Um, and also, like, to a point Lynette talked about, you know, we, we understand that things are happening, but we never discuss the why. Um, and so I think this is a, a, the time for us to, you know, like we have those uncomfortable conversations. If somebody asks a question, um, if we have to correct somebody's language to, you know, to, 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 to Lib's point, um, to refer to Black people as having been slaves as opposed to enslaved people that changes how you view people um, to even in the, the media when um, not even that uh, we want to mention the president, uh, but tweets about, um, you know, looters and thugs. But if I then said well, the, the city is filled with protesters and activists, that changes how you view the situation. So, you know, I think this is the, the time that we have the floor to, to educate people on their language, to educate people on our history. And in the, the not so beautiful side of the United States, we, you know, a, a lot of people come to this country or they grew up in this country with the belief that the government is good, um, the government is gonna take care of you, policemen are helpful, um, we have the best healthcare system in the world, and although these things may be true for certain people, it is definitely not true for a lot of the people who live here. You know, one one uh, thing that you mentioned in the tail end of your of your uh, chiming in there, sister, is you know the policemen are helpful, and right now a big part of our conversation in this you know a white supremacy, systemic racism conversation, and you know fight. I was just going through my Facebook just as we're having this conversation and a fresh video of a New York City police uh, beating up a young black man. And these things are happening. We're just being able to capture it now and have been happening. Um, when the topic of defunding the police, and the caption in that video was defend the police now, somebody was enraged. And I don't know where I stand in that. You know what I mean? Like, this is open to all. Where do y'all stand on the topic of defund the police? And how would that help in the fight or, you know what I mean, in fixing things? When we talk about re repairing this broken system um, and defunding the police, what do y'all understand that to mean and how would that be impactful? It's open to anybody want to jump in. So a lot of people, when you hear defund, defund the police, it's, they think it means, or we think it means like, you know, not paying the police officers at all and you know therefore there will no be there will not be any police officers available um but defunding actually means reallocating the funds to um other areas where we would think that we need to kind of help us thrive so whether it be out reallocating it to education systems rather or um the health system um, to like kind of close those gaps that we see um, in within our um, communities. Um, so, you know, the police budgets for historically has been a pretty large budget. And the idea is if we reallocate these funds to kind of help, you know, black communities driving um, the, these areas, then we would see a reduce reduction in crimes, we would see a reduction in police um, violence. Um, 
stuff because it's not like you know. I, and I also want to say it's it's not about like not everybody who gets locked up is a bad person. And I think that is the bigger message that we're getting from here because we are this a poor we are basically being targeted by police um, in um, unfair and unjust ways. So we have to understand that these, we need to put more funding in our educational system. We need to put more funding in our health systems. We need to put more funding in other areas to help our people thrive. And that is not to, you know, we're, we're essentially paying, like Tamika Mallory said, for police officers to kill us. This is not just a, you know, a, a mutually exclusive thing. This happens across the country globally, actually. Um, and which is why all these, you know, all other countries are actually protesting as well. So that is just my. That's a, I, like, I like that, you know, what you said, you know, not just taking it all from them, but, you know, allocating that funds. Like LAPD, for example, has, you know, a boatload of money. So, and we have, you know, under, underfunded housing systems and different things like that. So definitely allocating the funds. And anybody want to chime in on that as far as defunding the police is concerned? Yeah, I, I want to come in here. Um, I think that the conversation about why the police have been killing black people has been shifted to the left or the right politically. I agree with what you said, Diane. You know, it's the you know it reduces the number of police that comes in the communities and all that. Again, I'm with you. Reflects. I don't know if it should be or should not be, but what I know is that whether we define the police or not, if the police decided they're still going to use the same laws that kill us, it's still going to happen. So my suggestion is not totally about defunding them. It's about the reform. And if the reform comes and they have to, part of that reform, they have to defund them, they have to. Because again, as I said, the police officer who did what he did has a certain authority given to him by the law or by his, whatever his, you know, what, the police department for him to do that. And it, this is not the first time we've seen this over and over and over again. So. I believe in strongly about reform. Politically, they've taken it to the, they, they're making it a left or right issue. And that is where sometimes my problem is when it comes to black issues, based on my observation of what I've read so far, then it's turned out to be a left or right issue politically, which we should all be geared towards reforming the police department in the US. And that way, if it comes to the point where they have to be, you know, their budgets have to be reduced and focus in other areas. It should be. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, I'm I'm really curious about defunding the police. I and just to bring attention, like defunding, they defund um, education all the time. They defund, they take money away from after school programs, they take money away from schools all the time. So defunding doesn't mean cancel doesn't mean we're getting rid of it. And I think for people who never experienced, am I going in and out? Can you hear me? I saw myself buffering for a second. Can you hear me? Okay. I think for, for people who have not experienced 
police, people who don't feel relief when they hear sirens, right? Then the, the, uh, the idea of defunding the police sounds exciting. For other people who've been able to use the police as, you know, their their personal security, their guard dogs, whenever they are just offended, you know, um, they know that the police are an extension of their supremacy. So they might be shouting Black Lives Matter with a sign right now, but they ain't trying to get rid of the police. So I think um, as much as defund the police excites me and I like it. I do think we'd get more traction with changing policies and concentrating on getting rid of that that little law that says an officer can do whatever they deem necessary in uh, in, in a one-on-one -on -one experience with somebody if they have decided this is what's best. This is this is why these officers all, even if they get to court, this is why they all get off because there's this this little room that says they, they, I don't know the exact words. I know uh, uh, the gentleman here is a lawyer, but there's, there's something that gives them permission to, to use as much force as they deem necessary. And um, I think we would have more success trying to change the law than getting rid of the officers, although I'd be with it. Let's do something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely, we've come to the second hour and our last hour here, and I want to thank everybody who's watching on Facebook right now. And you know, if you're watching this on playback, also appreciate you checking us out on YouTube.com/backslash/srtmpodcast. Um, like I said, thank everybody who's watching on Facebook right now. I want to take a, a question right now on Facebook as we come to this second and last hour. This is from Nora Frida. She says, and I don't understand what this word means. So probably, if y'all know, you know, you can just jump in. Uh, she says, "How has respectability how has respectability politics served to weaken the Black Lives Matter movement? How has respectability politics served to weaken the Black Lives Matter movement? I don't know what that means. Yeah, I can go ahead. <laughs> respectability politics. That's. I don't know if uh, you want to uh, clarify. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead." Sorry, that that um, whoo, that concept uh, excites me. Um, <laughs> uh, so the idea of respectability politics, um, the idea that you have to meet uh, someone's standard in order for them to acknowledge you or to extend the same courtesies that they would someone else. Um, and how that may weaken the Black Lives Matter um, movement. Um, I think for anyone who is serious about the Black Lives Movement, um, there is room to understand that you will have uh, lawyers, doctors, um, you will have janitors, street, street sweepers, um, people that don't work, this is a movement for everybody and anybody in between. Um, I think one of the issues that does come up with the idea of respectability politics, um, at least in terms of how Black people present ourselves to uh, like the, the larger culture, um, you know, we, we often hear things like, well, um, it, well, you know, pull your pants up. That, that was a big thing 
uh, years ago. Uh, it was stop sagging your pants and and then you know we'll we'll talk to you. Um, you know, if you clean up your communities, uh, stop gangbanging and drive-bys and, and don't wear your hoodies. And, you know, and if you can start to present yourself that way, then we will respect you in return. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but there's no thought to, again, you, you know, in the larger culture, they are going to extend those same courtesies. They, they may be rude about it, but it doesn't have to cost someone their life. Um, and there's no thought to people's humanity. Um, I, I mean, we think about, uh, Dr. King, if, if anybody was, uh, an unspoken champion of respectability politics, he protested, uh, when people talk about him now, they like, oh, he protested peacefully. He didn't riot and loot. Um, mm -hmm. And you see pictures of him in his Sunday best as he's walking over the bridge in Selma. Uh, you see him, you know, giving his famous speech on the steps of um, the Lincoln Memorial in his suit. And, and so these are the images that people see now. And, you know, oh, you know, people shouldn't be out uh, screaming and, and shouting and rioting and, and they, they need to do it like Dr. King. But at the same time, he was hated back then, and he was assassinated. So, respectability politics, it doesn't really have mm. any weight. Thank Treat you. me like a but, human being. Uh, I want to also add, um, to piggy off of what Allison stated, the whole kneeling during the protests by police officers as that justifies that you are with us, no. Watching um, people feed. <laughs> um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Netflix had put out this documentary about um, the Haitian, no, how AIDS was developed. And um, in the documentary, stated that, you know, Haiti, you know, it, 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 it was, you know, from Haitian um, people who brought it over to America, and that was incorrect, even found it incorrect. And they just simply pulled it down. That is not enough. Um, so respectability politics is, in my sense, is sometimes Caucasians feeling like they are doing just enough by um, doing these small gestures just to, for us to calm down or silence us. So, you know, I don't want to hear big corporations coming out talking about they are standing with us or they are supporting the cause, but they are actually not doing the things within their systems to make sure that they're elevating um, us or they are making sure that we have not even, we're not asking for handouts, we're asking that we are, we're asking for equity. We are just asking that you give us our just due because the, we've earned it. We're qualified. We've earned it. That is just, you know, what we deserve. So I'm not asking for anything. I just want you to do what you say you're supposed to do and you're promoting about. That's exactly um, what I feel. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Go ahead, Lynette. So I think also with respectability pro uh, politics, one of the problems is we we get more outrage if we feel like the person whose life was lost had more value. And so if the person, like, honestly, I don't care if George Floyd was 
a crack addict who couldn't read, who just cussed out the cashier and said something profane to the officer. He did not deserve to die like a dog in the street. And I think respectability politics suggests that some, some of these losses are, are, are losses and some aren't. And I think why this has been swept under the rug for so long, many of the people who have direct um, contact with the police are people who may be lower in the social economic scale. So people that we have already kind of socially thrown away, we don't really, they're, they're out here in the streets. If they get killed by an officer, the assumption <laughs> is they did something wrong to deserve it. And I think moving the respectability politics means that person does not have to be degreed. They do not have to have perfect subject-verb agreement when they talk. They don't have to be mentally well, but that their life, if they're here, if God placed them on earth, they deserve to experience the fullness of life without being executed in the streets because an officer got tired of, of whatever. And I think we got to get rid of that because what, what I see, because what we're also quiet about is, is um, our, our everyone under the black umbrella. And so our, our yay, our transgender families, we see these people getting attacked and, 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 and murdered for just being who they are. And we're like, yeah, it, we'll deal with that another time as if that black life doesn't matter. And so I think mm -hmm. check ourselves when we decide that we care or not and mm -hmm. why something is outrageous. I think it's unfortunate um, that Brianna and, and George lives were lost. And I think it's sad that it helped the cause that they were, so, they were good and loved. Um, but I think we need to be angry no matter who it is, um, if it was unjust. And so when I think of respectability politics, I think people don't have to be good for us to be outraged that their lives were lost. So that's it. So anybody want to uh, touch on that? Uh, yeah, I, I I think just to go on the the point that uh, Lynette was making, um, by the way, look, it's sometimes when you say you're black conservative or you believe in a certain ideology that's leaning to the right, you know the liberals disagree and they they want to make you feel like you're not black enough, and that's something that I will observe. The same way when you're a little liberal and the, the right side feels that, oh, you're, you're missing the point. So if we can come together, use this opportunity now to see that everybody is healing Black Lives Matter now, which is something that we prayed for, we wish for, and it's happening. Let's open our arms to other people who have different divergent views and respect them we may disagree, but what's the common goal? The common goal is that my skin color should not determine who, what is in my brain or what, whether I'm gonna commit a crime or not. So I think that it's, it's a good opportunity for us to talk about these things. And also when it comes to, um, you know, I know that most of you might not relate to this, but. I also want to encourage all my African brothers who are living in the U.S. also to, to identify that, that we might not go through some of the struggles, but let's respect that. Let's acknowledge 
the diversity that we find. You know, and mostly when you see a lot of us, we come to US and then we live in our community and we don't really want to associate ourselves with African American. And that happens a lot of time. Maybe people are, have reasons why they do that. Maybe there are issues that we need to talk about. I think this is an opportunity for us to talk about them. And if you also have African American who have a certain stereotype about Africans, rethink about it. You know, rethink about it and reach out and, and see how you can be able to help, you can be able to talk. The conversation has to start. And that will bring the diversity and that will eliminate every, you know, maybe hate or every misunderstanding. And just to bring this point um, that I want to explain this thing to some of my African friends, you know, or Africans who come to the US, how systemic racism works. For example, you, I wanted to go, when I came here, I wanted to go to George Mason. George Mason is a public school. Now, Ghana is a country where English is a medium of instruction at all levels, right? There are schools, universities in the US who do not require English placement test from people from Ghana, whether you finish high school or you finish um, a community college, which is called a polytechnic, or you come, you, you finish uh, college and you want to come and do your bachelor's or your uh, graduate program. Some schools do not require you to take English placement tests because Ghana is a country where English is a medium of instructions. But guess what? I went to George Mason and I was told I need to write TOEFL. Now, George Washington took me without making, taking English placement or TOEFL. It means that there's somebody in that department, in that school, that is making sure that when we come here, we want to go to school, I've been discriminated because my English is not well enough because I have an accent. So I just want to explain to a lot of my African friends who are watching that when we talk about systemic racism, that is for me, that is something that I've observed. And if you can relate to that and get frustrated and have to go and write TOEFL, not knowing whether you're gonna pass or not, you don't even know the dynamics. You have to go and study and pay for it before you, they, you've been admitted. Most other schools are not doing that. I went to George Washington, they did not require that. So relate to that to our brothers and sisters who are living in this country for years that in every angle, they have to go through certain hurdles before they get accepted. So I just want to bring that up to be able to make some point. Hmm. Uh, uh, definitely want to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Joe, uh, you oh, had a point. Go ahead. Yeah, bro. I just want to chime in real quick. Um, I think Lynette brought up um, a very interesting point um, when she talked about, um, you know, for example, the LGBTQ community. And I think sometimes, like, we forget that in these protests, those people are there too. Um, they're actually supporting us. And I think more than anything, what I'm starting to learn from this moment in history is that it's actually hopefully gonna be the birth of all Americans all across the walks of life to actually learn how to treat each other better. Um, you know, we often talk about freedom of speech, but I think we're making that transition where it's not just how do I use my speech to the full extent where it becomes a weapon? Um, but how do I actually use that speech to start having engaging, meaningful questions where I'm learning? 
um, about other people and learning how to treat them better. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that it's also highlighting the fact that, you know, we put so much emphasis on politics, as George mentioned, um, and it actually pits us against one another, conservatives and liberals, but we need to make that shift towards um, humanity and human dignity, where mm -hmm. we're understanding that respect should be universal and there should be rights that accompany it so that it is in effect um, sort of enforced in the laws. Um, it, not that that's only the way um, that we should respect one another, we should do it by default, um, just in the way we interact, but as a backup um, so that these sort of infringements on our rights are not um, continuing. Hmm. That's solid, that's solid. I wanted to, you know what I mean, like give opportunity here for us to speak to our white um, audience and others, you know, who might be listening right now. Uh, <laughs> there is a defund, demilitarize, and abolish the police chain going on our Facebook. But definitely want to give the opportunity here for us to speak to, you know what I mean, our white uh, audience. Um, why, as to where they can start, you know, we've talked about educating ourselves, how they can start to understand what it is that black people are going through and what they need to do. Where can they start? You know what I mean? Like Netflix is putting up the, you know, um, and Prime and other people are putting up, you know, movies and books and things. Where can they start as deeper than just having, you know, Allison is that one black friend? <laughs> Where can they start? And why is screaming all lives matter ignorant? If I can add. <laughs> That's open um, to everybody. I think there's a lot of things yeah. to do. Some easy, some something easy you can do if you're white is um, put your money where your mouth is. Um, start deliberately seeking out um, uh, opportunities to to finance black things. Like if you really, if you really bout it. Um, I don't know that we will live to see anything that looks like reparations, but actually um, seeking out black businesses to, to be a customer, not even just to support, but to be a customer, um, really asking hard questions, looking around and taking inventory of the space you're in, looking at your neighborhood that has been 2% non-white, for the past 200 years and asking why um, and asking questions out loud, challenging your family members. Um, there's a tape of a little white girl going viral because she asked her parents to explain uh, their, their, their biases and they, they got stuck and they couldn't really, you know, I think, so those are things you can do. So simple things to do is with your money. You know, you don't want to get in the front lines, fine. Um, go go to dinner at, at this place that's black owned. Get your groceries at this um, place that's black owned. Um, introduce your children to concepts and don't try to mask it from your children. I see people, I've deleted people on Facebook. If I saw all everything they've been talking about, it's like, man, I'm so sad my kids don't get to play. Really? Did you talk to them about George Floyd and why the whole planet is on fire right now? 50 states in the parts. 50 states are protesting 18 countries and you haven't mentioned it to your kids. I'm disappointed in you. So I think these are things you can do. Have the hard conversations and start to question yourself um, uh, about things you say 
and do and what your first thought is when you see a, a black man or black woman coming towards you and why that's your first thought. Those are things you can do. Um, I think marching is a nice show of solidarity. I appreciated one of my coworkers early on um, when, the, when the protesting was just beginning, paused one of our Zoom meetings and said, I just wanna stop and acknowledge what is happening in the world and call to attention my coworkers who are friends, who are raising black children. I was so grateful that it didn't have to be me to say my mind's not even in this room, but I'm gonna compartmentalize this like I always do. And I was really grateful that she said, let's stop pretending that this HR meeting we're having is the only thing that's happening right now. And so doing things like that, um, uh, not making it so that it has to be me to call attention to the thing that we all know is happening. Um, and so those, those are things, those are some startups um, that, that, that uh, white people can do. I know I have a few friends watching, if y'all have some book recommendations. One of the things, I just, I just purchased a book from one of my, is this backwards for y'all or is it right way? I don't know. No, that's right way. It's right way, okay. So this is a book from one of my college classmates who um, uh, creates children's books. And it's, I know my rights and it's breaking down the Bill of Rights and you see all these brown children images. And I think this is something that everyone can um, get for mm -hmm. a child in their life or an adult. Hey, it's broken down for, for everybody to get. And so this mm -hmm. is one of the ways to introduce. Uh, oh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we lost uh, Talib. He had a fire uh, drill in his office, so he had to step out. I don't know if y'all noticed, but I we're gonna did. get we're gonna get that book and the books he mentioned and put in the description and the post. So awesome. definitely appreciate that. I, I, I'm interested in that book, by the way. Awesome. I don't know my rights. Shoot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you done, sister? All right. Uh, Joe, and then Diane, and then George. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add um, to that. Um, there's been some points uh, we talked about education, and I think what Lynette said was um, very powerful in that, you know, when, for example, when, you know, white kids are young, they don't, you know, parents, their parents don't sugarcoat to them, you know, talks about finances, right? They'll talk them all the way up to the top, know about what wealth building is and assets and all of that. But they need to also have that same energy when it comes to talking to their kids about the realities, you know, of history in America, the why, as we've mentioned, um, and when their kids have those interactions, um, be able to actually um, speak up to them um, and really have, um, be able to have those difficult conversations um, and not wait or depend on, you know, an education system or depend on a black friend, like that education process needs to be uh, universal. You know, they talk often, uh, you know, when it comes to employment, about being a lifetime lifetime learner, um, that's something that we need to do in society um, from this point on um, to really uncover the realities and the truth um, behind all the things that we've been told factually, but we've never questioned to get to the actual truth. Mm -hmm. That's solid. That's solid. What do you think, Dan? Um, I would just simply say, be proactive. Um, be intentional about 
you know, trying to be informed, getting knowledge, being educated, asking, you know, you can definitely read on, up on books. I think the books that Talib um, refer, were recommended were really great. Also would um, ask that they also ask the questions to the, the Black people around them because we're not monolithic. Um, so really being proactive and having these conversations and being open and understanding that in asking these questions, um, because you don't have, you may not know that you have to be open to the responses and know that the responses will be different. Um, so I would say just being proactive and intentional and in seeking your knowledge. What do you think, George? Thanks, Diane. I think I agree with Diane on that, to be um, globally, to be open to the conversation and get involved. But I also want to say that the faith community that I was part of before I moved to uh, the, the, the DMV, which is in Richmond, the faith community that I, I, I was, they were very, very supportive in the Black communities. And I know individuals that are close to me who are white, who are really who support not only volunteering, but also put money into making sure that um, the black community, you know, there are organizations that they support you on the board and they make sure that the black people's voice are heard and they contribute financially to support that. So whilst we talk about the global aspect of why people get involved, I also want to make sure that we acknowledge individuals who are supporting the black agenda you know, in financial way, volunteering way. Sometimes some of these people, they don't come out and speak. They don't show up. But um, there's a video I share on my wall, on my Facebook page. My former pastor, so of course, he's still my pastor. He came out to speak about how, when he was pastoring African-American church, who is a white guy, pastoring African-American church, and uh, African-Americans felt that They've been alienated. Like he does not pay much more attention to African American when they complain about basic stuff, but his focus is on white. And now, and that gave me a wake up call because even though he promotes, he volunteers, he supports the black community, that was a wake up call. And he was also part of the protest, you know. You know, and I have good friends like Robin Carty who supports every black individual that comes their way. So once we talk about that. Let's also talk about inviting the global, if you're in a corner, if you're somewhere who feels that what you see on TV, it is what happens to the black community as a white person, get involved. You might be surprised that there are a lot of good stuff are coming out and a lot of education. You know, we, 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 as black people, you're reading, we are getting more into the corporate environment. You know, we are not, it's not like 1960s anymore. So get involved, be part of the conversation. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the corporate, uh, sorry, Alison, you wanted to chime in on that? Uh, yes, uh, just quickly, um, uh, two things that uh, white people can do if they want a place to start. Um, I think two places that are key, uh, if you are a person of faith, uh, attend somebody's church. Um, this should be, uh, just ideally, this should be a place where um, the, the principles are the same. 
Um, so if we are to be Christians, if we are reading from the same Bible, um, then there should be some common ground there. There often isn't, but there should be. Um, so this would be a wonderful place to start. Um, sit with people. Uh, go to a church that, uh, for uh, people that don't look like you. Um, I think another option is uh, involve yourself in the arts. Um, this is a way to, you know, look at, look at things from a different perspective. Um, and it can be considered as a safe space. Um, if you do decide to venture out into some places that are typically considered as black spaces, then, you know, make sure that you're invited, uh, make sure that you are welcome, but make sure to listen, keep your opinions to yourself. Um, there really isn't much of an option to have an opinion over someone else's lived experiences. I think, George, you said something like that in the beginning. Um, and so these are two places to kind of get a taste of, you know, one, just a small portion of what is, con what is considered to be Black in this, uh, in this country. And so that way, learn something, uh, ask questions. If something differs from what you do, ask questions, ask why. But again, it's all about initiating that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, uh, one thing that, you know, as, as creators, as creatives, you know, we take a lot of time. I'm speaking to everybody on Facebook right now, <laughs> watching fans of Stuck in Middle Podcast. We take a lot of time to create this graphic. So engaging with us, not just liking, but sharing it, tagging other people and commenting, it's, uh, it's relieving. It makes us know that people are watching. So one of the questions that we posted just a couple hours ago actually is, and this is you know uh, a question to you all as we wrap up here. This is the last question. What has been your experiences, and this is a question also from Joe Wall on Facebook. Shout out to you. Uh, ask the panelists what challenges they face in the workspace. And Nora chimes in and said, what challenges y'all face? You know what I'm saying? At all. Like, just tell y'all story. Uh, let's just go down the line to tell y'all story mm -hmm. as we wrap up, try to keep it brief. And I'm going to start with Joe. What challenges have you faced in the workspace, bro? And like, how, you know what I mean? Like, can that be dismantled and, and fixed? I mean, I can kind of relate to what Allison was saying. Um, for the longest time, I've been that Black friend um, or Black colleague in this case. Um, so, in a way, I've been fortunate in the sense that I haven't faced it directly or anything that's been necessarily um, off-putting, um, but it could also be a bad thing in the sense that, um, you know, some of the things you learn how to deal with those things when you've encountered them. It's kind of practice, whether it's positive or negative. Um, but for me, I haven't really faced it, so I can't speak to it. Um, too much. I'm probably going to leave that to the other um, panelists and uh, listen to what they have to say. I'm going to go with uh, Diane. Well, um, as a mental health therapist, I can see from like first um, encounter how systemic racism actually works. Um, you know, my clients, I spoke, speak to my clients and they deal with some of the things that um, we're seeing right now on a daily basis. Um, one thing that I try to do is 
use the platform that's, that I'm on or use the voice that I have to not only speak for myself, but speak for my clients who are, you know, living in these underserved populations. Because even myself, you know, growing up in Laurel, Maryland, I don't know if you're familiar with Laurel, Maryland, but growing up in Laurel, Maryland, I had to also check my own privilege as a, you know, living in a middle-class area for um in in pg county being in a, one of the most affluent areas for blacks in the nation um so when i you know serve my clients who live in southeast dc or northeast dc or in areas like that and understanding that you know i'm learning from them um of these um issues that are systemic that you know that are greatly unjust um and also uh trying it's a it's a very sensitive issue for myself um because i see you know different layers of it and i also see from different angles um in, in even i think lynette mentioned or someone had mentioned the importance of us understanding that we all have a value in this in this fight um, specifically like for women, I think that, um, the Brian, like for example, Brianna Taylor's murders, the police officers who shot and killed her are still walking free. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just, you know, kind of making a point to also speak on that even at work. Um, because, you know, a lot of times black women, we are on the forefront, we are advocating, uh, we are, you know, pushing the movement and it's important for us and men to, to come along with us and speak out. Um, so I don't care where I work. I don't care where I patron at. I don't care. You know, I think that's it's a really good thing that we are calling people out right now to making sure that, you know, if you are targeting our population. You have to make sure that you're showing up and putting action behind it. So even at my job, you know, mentioning these things and educating myself so I can educate the people around me that um, this is this is a real thing. You know, a lot of my clients are being, you know, sexually assaulted by police officers in DC. Um, mm -hmm. Not, you know, just, a, you know, one-sided issue. Uh, we have to use our voices and I think also our, our men, which are, you know, just like, I'm glad that Flex, that you mentioned that, that we, you know, men also need to help us in speaking out about it too, on advocating for women. So yeah. that, that's it. It's real. Officer was arresting a lady in LA and, you know, pull her tampon out in public. She only got awarded $250,000. I think they should have given the whole police funds to her, but you know, uh, uh, Lynette. Yeah, I mean, to, to stay on the, the question where you, you were saying how this impacts your work, I think mm -hmm. um, personally, I've been with my organization a really long time. And because I've, I've grown up where I'm, I'm so accustomed to moving from um, my black circle to this other space, that it's almost like, um, being bilingual sometimes i know we call it code switching but i know it took me a while to figure out how to be my most authentic self all the time so that i'm not always making 
working to make other people comfortable everywhere I go. So that has been a personal challenge. I also think um, because I'm one of the, I'm a, a palatable Black person. I'm someone who I think people, I'm, I'm easy to be around because I don't necessarily, um, because of the way I, I just am, I think sometimes I have found myself having to advocate for others. So I'm, I'm grateful to be in a position when somebody says, you know, so-and-so's not really nice. She never smiles. I'm very quick to say, really, she's brilliant and kind every time I speak to her. What do you think smiling, if she smiled more, would that make you feel better? Like really calling things out in real time. And I think um, that has been how I feel like my, my, my personal responsibility has been to just to speak up, even, even when it's hard. And, and like Joe, I haven't had any direct things that I can say that was, or sometimes it's a question, like, was that because I was black? Mm -hmm. Is that because I'm the black person in the room? Is that because I'm the woman in the room? Is that because I'm the youngest one in the room? Like, I'm not sure what I'm picking up, or is it just because you treat everybody this way? So I think always even trying to decipher, like, was this injustice or is this person just rude? you know, like, because it's subtle, like nobody, you see my baby in the background, nobody is making, you know, nobody's calling me the N-word, nobody is shutting down my ideas, I, I work in a pretty liberal environment, even if it's just one of the silos in my organization, so I've, mm -hmm. I felt, feel a little shielded, but I think, I see my personal responsibility is to speak up and um, be authentic, everywhere I go. And, and so I don't even know if I answered the question, but <laughs> that's, that's what workspace looks like for me. Okay. Anybody else? I think Taliba, uh, AK, if you can let Taliba in, he, he's going to come and have the last word <laughs> as we wrapping up. Anybody else as far as like challenges in the workspace as we wrap up? Uh, yeah. Um, I left corporate America after having been there for a long time. Um, one of the things that you have in the, as a benefit in corporate America is there's usually a very well-structured human resources department. So you have an issue, you can escalate it. Uh, you feel like you have someone that you can go to, um, whether they do anything or not, um, you know, the, whatever levels they, they take to resolve your issue, at least you feel like you have um, an option. Um, I have worked for small organizations uh, where there is no human resources department and had to experience um, some racist comments, um, uh, uh, questions about my integrity. Did, did, you know, this is missing. Did you take, did you take my pen off of the uh, table? Oh, you mean like the, the dollar big pin that you got in a pack of like 20, like it, it just, it, you know, so I, ha I have had those experiences and did not feel that I had anyone that I could go to. Um, but I was also younger and able to leave those jobs. Um, I now work for our federal government, um, which yeah, um, <laughs> has been very reluctant to speak to anything that's happening. Um, even on a small level in terms of uh, my own office. 
Um, nobody wants to acknowledge that I, I have a lot of coworkers that right now are tiptoeing around me and, you know, and how are you? But no one's going to address anything specifically. And mm. I don't necessarily feel comfortable in this organization to um, speak up uh, all the time. Um, and I have, in the times that I have, you know, I, I know that I'm starting to get labeled as the angry black woman. Um, and, and a lot of times there are a lot of angry black women in, in my, you know, who, women who are labeled as the angry black woman. And I think, um, one of the ways to overcome some of these challenges, uh, it listen to the angry black woman and see why she's angry. Uh, talk to some of these people in, in the organization who've been there 10, 20, 30 years. I'm, I have worked with, uh, people who have worked in the federal government in the same place for almost 60 years. And they have seen racism at its worst to its most hidden and subtle. And I think it's important that we talk to them and get their stories and, and let them know that they have a voice. Um, and, and at some point, I believe we can get to a point where we have enough stories, we have enough proof and you can't fire all of us, um, you know, and so we, if we can actually start to speak up and organize and, you know, it's, it is not easy to shift that government at all. Like it's hard enough to shift when you can vote. Um, you know, if we can start to advocate for ourselves um, as a collective so that we don't feel like we're that one person who all of a sudden gets blackballed and never gets promoted and gets labeled and, and you know, I, I, I think it, it's, it's a very slow process, but it's necessary. Um, so, yeah, appreciate that. Uh, George, real quick, and then we're going to let our brother Talib, who just came back, wrap us up. Okay. Well, um, with my experience, I don't know whether it's uh, racism or it's just um, somebody picking up on me, but it's not from a corp, like a top management. I used, I used to work with SunTrust in Richmond. And they were talking about, on the floor, they were talking about um, vacations. And some people said they're gonna take flights to Florida and all that. And one of the sisters asked me, so George, have you taken a flight before? Mm -hmm. Because you know that I come from Africa. So, and I, and the whole <laughs> place was, the whole floor was quiet. And Did I don't you know what by osmosis or something. I should call that racism or just you know. And the second one that I experience, I know I, I do Uber on part time just to you know support. So I picked up this lady who saw George uh, Washington stick on my car, and then when she entered the car, I said, "You went to Geneva?" I said, "Yeah." She said, "Well, how come you went there and I did not get it? Get it, you know?" And I don't know whether I should call that racism all of a sudden the whole trip was very quiet because she realized that probably made a wrong you know conversation so i haven't really in terms of top management or all the places that i worked at or friends that i've hung out with but these are the two experiences now that this all this thing you you nice bro you, you know, man, i gotta give you a <laughs> all this nice one, man. You know, I just like hands, man. What you... oh this is <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Just want to share that. <laughs> You're a nice brother, man. I give you your props. Now, listen, this has been dope. Uh, welcome back to Lee, bro. We we covered a lot of ground in your absence, uh, but just wanted to, you know, you're an organizer. Um, 
do a lot of great things also for the DMV. How, what's next for us? You know what I mean? How can we move, keep moving the culture forward uh, in, your, in your thoughts? And uh, how can we, you know, persevere in this fight as we wrap up? Give thanks, and my apologies. I had some stuff happen in this in this area, so for me. But um, how do we move forward? So uh, addressing the issue and acknowledging the issue. When you have, when you are diseased or you are sick, you know you can't uh, not acknowledge the sickness and then in hopes that you heal it. You actually have to tear the the uh, bandaid off the wound. You know what I'm saying? Or actually take that back. You got to put the Band-Aid on the wound, but you also have to clean and cleanse the wound as well. So I think that we have to acknowledge exactly what has happened to us uh, historically and what continues to happen to us. I have a couple of things here. Um, Jericho is an organization that works on political prisoners. So this talk about uh, us, uh, this currently happening, and you know, it's just interesting how all of these things are popping off now. These are political prisoners that are still in jail fighting. Uh, that have fought for our freedom. You have um, H. Rap Brown or Jamil Alameen, uh, Dr. Matulu Shakur, who is Tupac's uh, stepfather, and a whole bunch of other people who are still incarcerated because they've laid down their lives or their freedom rather to help us out. One of the ways in which we can uh, continue to uh, advance us as a people, one is to support their families and to support their cause to get us out, to get them out of jail which I do in uh, my uh, legal capacity. Um, but as well as organizing, I think that, you know, one of the things, I have two organizations in, uh, in this particular area. The one, one in DC is called the Movement for Black Power, where we uh, focus on knowing your rights, do know your rights classes, we do uh, food drives and giveaways. We also uh, work and tackle against gentrification. In Baltimore, we have an organization called the Tubman House. And uh, that one, we actually have lots in which we grow produce uh, within the community. And it's right on the west side of Baltimore. So it's in Fulton and uh, Pressbury. So that's a very uh, dilapidated area that has food apartheid. I don't really like to say food desert because that's un a desert is a natural thing. This is unnatural. But um, we've taught the kids in the community there. They come over, they learn how to grow uh, food. Not only do they grow the food, they also learn how to sell it because they sell it to local businesses that's around there. So now we're teaching them entrepreneurship. We're teaching them uh, chakalia or self-determination and being able to really have solid foundation and understand uh, what it takes to really be uh, liberated as a people. In my legal capacity as well, I teach, not teach them, excuse me, I represent uh, students who have been um, who have succumbed to the school system. There's a prison pipeline, school to prison pipeline mm -hmm. uh, thing that's really big, all right? And I wanna run off some statistics really quickly. So in Maryland, and we're not talking about any other state or any other ethnic group, but in Maryland, um, black kids are suspended far more than any other um, race of people. And of the, what, black students make up 34.4% of the school population in Maryland, yet they make up 61.8% of all suspensions and expulsions. Um, as it relates to uh, the individual counties, I'll just run off three, um, PG County, they make up 61.4% of the population, yet 81.7% of all suspensions and expulsions. In Montgomery County, they make up 21.5% of the population, yet they make up 50.6% of all students who are suspended and expelled. Uh, Baltimore City, 
They make up 81.8% of the population, yet they make up 94.2% of all suspensions and expulsions. That's a huge issue, especially because when it relates to how many um, instances, the aspects of why they get suspended, most of the time is due to disruption and disrespect. Now we know that, that we raise our children differently. So if um, Lil Kwame may not be able to sit down to take in the information, maybe he's a, a person who learns by doing. So maybe they have to, he has to touch stuff, he has to move around, he has, to, he has some energy that he has to let off constructively in order to learn. Well, for those who are teaching him that may not understand culture or his background, they may view that as a threat. And when you juxtapose that with what's going on in the media, the media is always depicting black folks as uh, thugs, hoodlums, criminals, and all these things. To the brother George's point, I believe he said, when I went to Ghana, that had a lot to do with the image that was depicted about us there. And, I, and it's the same, you know, back and forth with that. But if we don't control the media and we don't control the narrative of what they what they do. So I think for us, it's incumbent upon us to, once again, go back to education, but also Kwame Torre always said, organize, organize, organize. If you don't have an organization, then join one. If you do not see an organization that's out there in which appeals to you, then create it because their power in numbers. African people make up the third largest group of people on the planet. That's behind the, the, in, uh, the Chinese and the East Indian. You know how many people that is? Like it, in the diaspora, on the continent, first of all, it's over a billion. And then in the diaspora alone, it makes up close to a billion. So it's like we have power in numbers and we need to learn how to aggregate that power or aggregate um, our interest to know that whatever we do is to advance liberation of us collectively, whether you have a different ethnic group or not. You know, if we had, if, if, the European powers can get together, knowing that the German don't like the Polish and the Polish don't like the Italian and the Italian don't like the Russian, but they can get together to be able to pass an agenda that advances what they are doing, then we as a people should be able to do the same. So I'll close with this. You know, it's great that what we're doing here is awesome to build with you brothers and sisters, you know, and we all bring something to the table, but I would challenge us to be able to operate in a space in which may not be comfortable for us. So what that looks like is everybody on this panel has some type of security in whatever it is that they do, whether it's the job that you have or the house that you live in, these type of things. I would challenge you to possibly connect with someone who doesn't have that. And a lot of people within the movement now and those that are on the streets, are. we always know that with any type of movement, the youth lead it for the most part. It's the youth that have the energy and the charisma, and then it's the elders that have the wisdom. That's how we work together. So I think that it's incumbent upon us to be able to merge the gap between, merge all of that together so we can work as a unified front and not get caught up in class classism. So I think that's a really big issue with regards to how we need to work. So just organize, 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 and I'll end with that. Yeah, man. I think that's a dope place to end with. You came on time. I want to thank, um, you know, Lynette Johnson. Again, you, brother Tlaib, uh, George. Joe, I want to thank you, Diane. I want to thank you, Allison. This has been dope, man. And uh, shout out to AK in the background producing this thing. It's a lot of people on Facebook watching right now. I want to get shout outs, but I'm going to miss somebody and I'm going to get stoned. But you know what I mean? We want to engage with y'all. Um, definitely leave comments and share, uh, you know, resources and things like that to, you know what I mean? Like uh, help push, you know what I'm saying, this forward. We appreciate y'all. This is Stuck in Middle Podcast. Again, like I said in the answer, this is a conversation for 
what I'm saying, for us, by us. And uh, we, we definitely, you know, uh, have been doing this for three years and it's been a joy. I thank you again so much for joining us. Diane, like I said, man, therapist about to get paid. I need one, you feel me? I'm going to heat you up on the low, low. Give me a little session. Man, it's all going to be good. Um, appreciate y'all, man. And uh, any, you know what I mean? Like any, any anything else? We're gonna stay connected. The ports, and uh, you know, legal. I'm wrapping now. Appreciate y'all so much, man. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. It was nice meeting all of you. I appreciate it. This was wonderful. Great use of my time, and I appreciate all of you. Thanks yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys, for accepting me to join you today. Yes, yes, yes. Appreciate y'all watching on Facebook. Thank you so much for producing this AK. This has been a dope conversation and we will catch y'all later. Peace.